All right, um, let's stand to our feet and make our declaration this morning. So uh, why don't we just stand up together, please? And if you brought your Bible, I request you to hold it high up in the air with me. Let's say this out loud, bold, and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am what God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am. An absolute surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. Could you remain standing for a moment, please? Um, this morning, I'm happy uh, to have Pastor Indrajit Pawar uh, to come and minister to us. Uh, his wife, Manju, and the three children are there with us as well. Uh, I call him Inder. <laughs> Inder and I go back a long way. We were classmates in Bishop Cotton Boys School. <laughs> Uh, I think we were both in our eighth grade. Uh, uh, you know, I came to know the Lord first, and then he came to know the Lord. And uh, we kind of grew up in, in the faith together, started preaching uh, around, around that time. And um, we used to play football together for Cottons. So he was a, in defense, I was a goalkeeper. Right? <laughs> and if Inde was on my side, it was really hard for people to get past him. So uh, it, was, it was just fun, just you know, doing all of this together and uh, growing in the faith together. Uh, and there, uh, uh, later on, uh, became, went into ministry. He uh, became part of uh, New Frontiers International. It's a global ministry. Uh, they have churches all over the world, and he's one of the senior leaders here for their ministry here in India. Uh, he and his wife, they spent several years ministering in Mumbai. Uh, they were in Nasik after that. And just maybe a week or two ago, they have moved as a family back to Bangalore. Uh, to start an English congregation here in Bangalore at the uh, Frontier Management Center in Horamavu. Uh, and so uh, I just said, you know, okay, why don't you come and uh, minister to us here? So we just finished our service in the south, and we're here. And so we're delighted to have uh, Inder with us. Put your hands together, and let's welcome him as he comes and ministers God's word to us. Thank you so much. Thank you. I think you can sit down. Sorry, I, I didn't take Ashish's permission for that, um, to let you sit down. And uh, just apologies if I refer to him as Ashish. 32 years of habit uh, is a bit difficult to break. Um, and so please pardon me if I refer to him that way. Uh, although I recognize him and appreciate him, uh, as, uh, honestly, as my first pastor, because what he didn't tell you is that he was very instrumental in my coming to faith in Jesus. He, of course, had come to faith in Christ a couple of years before, and we were in the 10th, and uh, through him, uh, God really worked miraculously and, uh, and really opened my eyes to see the reality of Jesus Christ and the truth of knowing Jesus as 
as your savior. And um, so I've always regarded him as my first pastor. And so it's good to be back uh, in Bengaluru. And uh, to, to just once again look closely at him and to slipstream again behind him and uh, just, just such a blessing. This morning, I want to uh, talk about living the gospel life. I want to talk about living the gospel life. Nothing I say is original. Nothing I say will be new to you. You are a well-taught, well-trained people. That is evident over the years. Over the last three years, I've had the privilege of coming on my own and then with pastors and friends to uh, the, the, the conference that you do at the start of the year as just my own uh, way of learning and keeping in touch with what Ashish is doing and continuing to learn from him. So I know you're a well-taught people. You're, uh, so my job this morning is just to remind you of a few central truths that we always need to make sure are our true north, that we have always aligned to these uh, fundamental truths of our faith. And so just want to talk to you this morning very very briefly about living the gospel life. And I want to do that in a very um, specific way, and I'll tell you why I want to do that. Um, and to, to help you do that, just to tell you that one of the things Ashish did uh, for me when I first came to faith was he handed me a little New Testament. It was a red Gideon's New Testament. And I remember very vividly, even till today, secretly hiding in my mosquito net with my blanket over, a little light peeping in, and reading reading that, uh, that New Testament. I still remember, I still remember John 3.16 from that version because th- he taught me to read the Bible. He, he taught me to pray. I remember sitting outside the chapel as he opened up the scriptures and told me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so that's where my journey began. But as, I, as I've journeyed with Jesus and reading the scriptures, the Bible, as we've declared it in a moment ago, is alive and powerful. It is, to use an overused word, really and truly unique. There is no other book like it. For it is only in this book that if you meditate long enough, your life will become like a tree planted by the streams. There's no other book like it. There is no other book through which God speaks, God revives, God changes, and God works miracles. That's what happened in our lives, and perhaps that's what's happened in your life. But one of the things I've learned over the years is to appreciate the unity of the Bible and to read well, to have a gospel reading, if I can say, a holistic reading. And if those who are handling the screen can just zip over, And once we get past the introduction one, thanks, Josh. Thanks very much. Good to see you. Um, And want to just help you to see how we need to read the Bible together. There's a resource that's on your screen if you want to make a note of that. How to read the Bible book by book is a good resource. I'll tell you why in a minute because we can sometimes read the Bible bit by bit piecemeal. A little like the way uh, my wife used to read my letters. I go back 22 years ago to when we were engaged to be married and uh, she was living in Hubli and I was living in Bangalore at that time and uh, I, this is pre-internet, pre-mobile uh, and so all we had was, would you believe it, letters which you wrote on pen, with pen and on paper. You know, you might not remember that but well, that's what we oldies did then. And so there were letters that went up and down and the weekly phone call. 
So every time my letter went, unromantic guy that I was, and uh, really, you know, zealous for the Lord that I was, my letters would be full of Bible stuff, and, you know, stuff I was learning, and stuff she should learn. So she'd open up these letters very excitedly, and say, wow, there's a letter from him, I'm going to read what he's got, what he's written for me. And she'd open it up, and there was stuff about the Bible, and this verse, and that verse. I mean, Apostle Paul had some competition in those days, uh, and I'd write, and I'd write these letters out to her and somewhere at the end I would you know express some affection and you know share some of the stuff that was happening soon she learned a new way of reading letters as soon as my letters arrived she'd open them up go to the end first and then if you know she'd read the let she'd read the rest of the letters sometimes we do that with the bible We take it piecemeal at a time. So I want to encourage us to appreciate the unity of the Bible, to see that it's one big story with Jesus Christ as the singular superhero of the Bible. That's what the Bible is. And so to do that, I want to look at one of the books, which is actually a letter. This is a letter in the New Testament, and you'll be relieved to know it's not 1 Corinthians 15 or Romans, and we're not going to go through all 16 chapters. We're going to pull a little book out of uh, the New Testament, a letter actually, the letter to the church that was called uh, Philippians. They were, that's the way it's written in our Bible. It was a letter written to us church in a city called Philippi, and we're going to just spend a little time looking at the gospel partnership uh, that they had with this church, that the apostle enjoyed with this church, and how he writes to them about their friendship. He writes in very endearing terms. He writes to dear friends. He speaks to them as his joy and crown, deep affection uh, for this church. And, and as he writes to them, he's actually writing to the church that he had begun in Acts 16. He had gone to this city. God had shown him through a dream about an opportunity in this city. He had gone into this city. It started off with one woman and they had trouble with another one. And as a result of that, they were in prison. But God miraculously intervened through an earthquake. And and Paul and his friend Silas were rescued from that. And the result of that was the starting of a church, a small church, but what turned out to be a very, very faithful church. Paul, of course, couldn't stay for a long time. He had to leave. And now many years later, the, the, the church has heard that he's in prison again and they're concerned for him. They're wondering how he's getting on. So they've sent some gifts to uh, the Apostle Paul. They've also sent a man by the tongue-twisting name of Epaphroditus to him to encourage him and to strengthen him. This guy sadly fell ill. It was at the point of death. God had mercy. He came out. He was fine again. And now Paul's going to send this man back to the church at Philippi and he sends with him a thank you letter. But the, the Apostle Paul is very interesting. If you read his letters, as he's inspired by God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's a work of God through Paul. As he writes, he, he, he writes in very interesting ways. His prayers are long and full of theology. His thank yous are long and full of theology. So he's actually saying thank you didn't have thank you cards in those days. He writes a four-chapter letter. He gets to the thanks only in chapter four. Most of the letter is beautiful encouragement and strength to the church. As he writes to them, he speaks to them in chapter one and verse 27 about this gospel life. So if you have your Bible before you and um, if you can just look at this verse, we're going to take off from here. 
chapter 1 and verse 27. Here's the apostle in prison, writing to his friends, his dear uh, buddies as they were. And he, says, he says to them, whatever happens, whatever happens, wherever you are, however you are, whatever happens, make sure you live your life in a way that is in keeping with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Make sure, he says, that the way you live is a witness, is a testimony. It communicates what the gospel of Jesus really is. The gospel of Jesus fundamentally is the person of Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews declares God has spoken to us in many different ways, but in these days has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the gospel. He is the, the, the one that came for a very specific purpose to carry the sins of men. And he's singular, unique, only mediator, only name under heaven and earth whereby men might be saved. He is the gospel. And what Paul is saying over here is make sure your life is in keeping with the gospel. Or as Pastor Ashish just referred to in his prayer, be holy because God is holy. Amen. So he says, live in a way that is in keeping with this gospel. One of the criticisms leveled against Christ followers is that you talk about a wonderful Christ, but you don't have a life in keeping with this wonderful Christ. And tragedy after tragedy, even amongst Christian leaders, has underlined this challenge. And so this is a very real challenge for us to live this gospel life. And so we're going to look at this uh, in a few minutes. And what I want to do briefly in the time allotted to me is really present six snapshots. Uh, I should have come better prepared and I had this too late, but I should have actually shown you a snapshot I have somewhere in an old album with Ashish and me on the same football team. He doesn't look any different. I don't know what is his secret, but he doesn't look any different. I look very different. <laughs> I had hair in those days. I look very different. Uh, but you could look at that picture and you can observe certain things about us and about the guys who were on team with us. And, and so what I want to do is briefly present through from this entire letter six snapshots that will hopefully help remind you what this life is like. Maybe bring some adjustment to the life that you need, you're living and maybe you need to just align yourself back to the life that uh, we are called to live. So we're going to look at sn six snapshots. And here's, here's my first one. My first one is, is life that Paul calls us to live is really life in community. Life in community. Right at the start of the letter, Paul introduces this letter by talking about not just himself as the sole writer, but there's a community of writers as it were, a team, a group of writers, Paul and Timothy, we're writing to you. Who are we writing to? We're writing to the church. We're writing to the, the saints in Philippi with overseers, pastors, and with deacons. But hey, I'm not finished because the most important community is God himself. Because we're writing from God, the Father of Jesus Christ. God is community. 
The Trinity is the fundamental community. And it was because of that in Genesis 1.27, God said, let us make man in our image. Man and woman, he made them in his image. God has always been about community. God always builds into people into community. The psalmist says, he places the solitary into families. When he called Abraham, he said, I'm, I'm calling you I'm, and I'm going to bless you, but I'm thinking about families. I'm thinking about nations. I'm thinking about larger communities. And as I bless you, communities will be blessed. And dear friends, as Paul writes to his uh, friends in Philippi, he wants to remind them once again about life being lived in community. Throughout this letter, throughout all of his letters, throughout the Bible, there will be constant constant encouragement calling us to be part of the body of Jesus, part of a local church where we can actually do life together. Now here's the danger that we can face because we listen to this letter, we receive this letter and we put our individual template on it and think how can I now live according to this letter. It's fundamentally a wrong question. Because the question we need to ask is not how can I live according to this letter, but how can we live according to this letter? Because the letter has been written to a community. It has to be therefore worked out in community. You've got to have this deep friendship that Paul himself demonstrates when he says, when I think of you, I think of you and I pray for you and my love is just overflowing and I'm praying with joy. How many of you can honestly say that, you know, there's great joy in your heart when you think of, of, of someone who's not your friend, perhaps your enemy? Enemies and joy don't go together. Only friends and joy go together. And what Paul is saying over here is, I've got this great friendship with you, and I think of you, and I pray for you. And that's how he is living his life, and that's how he calls us to live our lives. One of the things that we need to be careful of, therefore, is we can feel we have done community by being here on Sunday morning. We haven't. Community really happens in the life groups. If you're not plugged into one, you're not going to be able to actually live this life out. Because it's only perhaps in the life group when that obnoxious person in your life group which whom God has sovereignly placed there for your sanctification who's there, who's obnoxious, who's irritating, who asks all the most difficult questions is there so that you and I can learn to be more patient. How do I know? I've been doing this for 32 years. You know, it's only in community. I thought I was a great guy when I got married. I was going to have a great marriage only to discover what a selfish guy I was. Because marriage reveals you, reveals who you are. It's community that we work our life out. And Paul would encourage us. So may I encourage you not to think about life just as an individual. It's, the, it's one of the challenges of our modern day where we do life because of the way life is constructed, because of the busyness of life. I have spent the last nine years in a smaller city, and one of the challenges for me is to learn once again what Bangalore is like. I left 12 years ago. It was different then. It was changing, but it's completely changed. For example, when I left in 2001, we were only 4.7 million people in this city. In the 2011 census, we were 8.4 million people, an increase of 47%. That's very different. I go to the shopkeeper, he looks at me and he speaks to me in Hindi these days. I said, what happened to Kannada? 
Yenaitu. And I'm surprised because the city is changing. Now life is changing. Work is changing. The demands of work have changed so much. So as you do that, please do beware that you can somehow miss this important emphasis, this biblical emphasis of living life in community. Please plug yourselves into a life group. Find one. Get to the website. Find one close to you. It might be led by the most difficult leader. It might have the most irritating person. But that is God designed for you. Go there and, let, and do life in community. The second thing Paul will talk about is living a confident life. Living a confident life. Twice in, in the first chapter, in verse 6 and in verse 14, you will notice he uses this word confident. He speaks first in verse 6 about how he is confident that what God has begun in them, God will finish till the, uh, uh, at the end. But then he goes to verse 14 and he reflects upon his imprisonment and he says the people who are looking at how I'm living my life are becoming confident. Let's look at verse 14 up on your screen. Verse 14 says this, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The question I ask Paul, ask this verse is, Paul, what do chains and confidence have in common other than the sea? And I'm, I'm, and I'm asking him and I'm, I'm questioning Paul, I'm questioning the text. And, and Paul's answer actually is in the previous two verses. Because he says, what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. And the way I'm living my life out here in prison, I'm right now in prison, but I don't see this as an opportunity to be despondent, as a moment for depression, but I see my chains, my being in prison as part of God's sovereign purposes where he wants me to be right now. And I know that even now, God is at work in me for my good. Good. Therefore, I'm going to continue worshipping him, praying, him, praying here. And perhaps as, I, as he did that, the guy said, who, who are you talking to? You just imagine the scene. Paul is chained to a Roman soldier, a crack troop, by the way, Caesar's palace guard. Our black cat commando type of guys, real tough guys. And they see this guy, they hear a bit of his story, they hear how much of trouble and, and how much of uh, punishment he's taken, and yet they see this joy on his face. And they, this, they notice this joy is particularly radiant as it seems when he's in the morning maybe worshipping the Lord or at night talking to someone. And they wonder, who are you talking to? They say, hey, hang on a minute, you're not talking to me, you're not talking to him, who are you talking to? Oh, let me tell you about him who walks with me and talks with me. My great good shepherd. And as a result of that, Paul says in verse 13, the entire palace guard has heard about Jesus Christ. Friends, where you are right now is God's appointed place for you, however difficult it may be. It's what happened with Joseph. Joseph. Young boy that he was, betrayed by his brothers, and um, 
Uh, even later on, as he was beginning, uh, he was sold off into slavery. He began to succeed a bit. He was falsely accused, put into jail. And over there, even after years and years of loneliness, he's not lost his faith in God. He, he comes through wonderfully, becomes the prime minister of that nation. He re- great reunion with his family. After some time, his father dies. His brothers come to him trembling and saying, uh, Joseph, dad had a last message for you. He said, um, when... When I'm gone uh, to deal nicely with us. And Joseph brilliantly says in Genesis chapter 50. He says, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. For the saving of many lives. Dear friends, the Bible tells us in the New Testament. That if those who actually crucified Jesus Christ. Physically and, and the forces of darkness. If they actually knew what they were doing. They lashed him and they him and you can see maybe Satan as it were in glee happy that finally Jesus is going to be finished actually it was through the cross the worst inhuman way of treating anyone horrible aches and pains it was through that worst way that Jesus achieved the greatest triumph and the cross tells us and that was the message if you read Acts 2 you will see you crucified him but it was according to the predetermined plan of God Friends, you are right where you are, where God wants you to be. So it might be difficult. It might be a challenge. It might be painful. It might be tough. But what God did for Joseph and Paul and what God did through the cross, God will do for you. Stand still and see the salvation of God. Be confident that God is at work. It's because he knows God is at work. Paul can end Romans chapter 8 triumphantly saying, "For that is why I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither demons nor angels, nothing in this world or out of this world, past, present, future, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. He's got this conviction, this confidence, because he has seen God at work. And God is at work in your life as well. So, be confident. Thirdly, we see over here in chapter 2 moving forward that he calls us to live a cross-centered life. And he does that by introducing a wonderful, wonderful passage, one of the grandest passages in the New Testament telling us about Jesus who even though he was God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped as something to be grasped but he laid it aside. He, he took upon himself the form of a man. Not only a man, he was willing to be a servant. Not only a servant, he was willing to be obedient. Not only obedient but he's willing to die. Not only die but die the death of the cross. Therefore God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord brilliant brilliant passage but that passage isn't given to tell us about what happened with Jesus that passage is given as you can see on the screen for this reason that you and I would have a mindset that we would think this way we would have this cross-centered mindset we would think about what it means to carry the cross and friends 32 years since I came to faith this is the fundamental core lesson that God has been trying to beat through my thick skull and I'm still learning I'm still learning For when I came to faith, I thought of God as one big ATM machine. Ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. Wow, that really? And Ashish told me, yeah, really. He didn't tell me, oh, but it has to be in the will of God. (laughs) I had to learn that the hard way. 
He's a brilliant pastor that way. He starts you off and then wants you to learn on your own as well. So uh, I, I was really helped by that. But it took me a long time to come to this core issue of Luke 14.27, where Jesus says in Luke 14.27, if you have a look at that, Luke, Luke 14 verse 27, in a brilliant passage talking about how we must love him more than anyone else, how we must carry our cross. This in verse 27 was a crucial verse for me where Jesus uh, drew his attention to the condition of my heart and continues to do that and challenge me. Where he says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What does it mean? Friends, in human history, there is not another signpost like the cross. There is not another, as it were, a a, a lifted up object like the cross. In human history, there is only this one um, place, as it were, where supremely God demonstrated how we need to think of others because the fundamental and the sole idea of the cross is that the cross wasn't because of the person on it the cross was for all of humanity for when we were sinners Christ died for us Jesus Christ died for you and me so that the penalty of your sins can be transferred onto him on the cross so that the minute you put your faith in him, the minute you trust him, you ask him to be your Lord and Savior, his righteousness gets credited into your account because your sin is put on him as you say to him, Lord, please forgive me for my sins. In an instant, as Martin Luther King, Martin Luther said in, in about 2 Corinthians 5.21, the great exchange change takes place where my sin is replaced with his righteousness. And so Paul is saying over here in in Philippians 2, this gospel life is an others-oriented life. That in your relationships with one another, have this mindset of Jesus. Jesus did not live for himself. Jesus was the only person who was exclusively born to die. He was born for others. He lived for others and he died for others. Now, Paul is saying, have this mindset. Have this mindset where you are waking up each moment thinking about others. How can I, as he says back here in in, uh, Philippians, make sure that you're thinking about the interests of others. And this great difficult thing that he says over here, he says, value, chapter 2. He says, value others above yourselves, verse 3. Think about others as being more important. Now that is so difficult because honestly, we think more about us. Honestly, we think we're a little better off. C.S. Lewis said it brilliantly when he said, think of me as a patient in the same hospital, but one who has just been admitted a little while before you. We're essentially all patients in the same hospital. We are all on the same level ground. And God wants us in this community, as we live confidently, to live for others. To live for those who work with, the person in the next workstation, the person in the office down the corridor, the person who lives down the flats next to you, maybe the Nepali, my goodness, I've seen so many Nepali people in the three weeks we've been here, the Nepali person who takes care of your security or maybe washes your car. God wants us to live for him. And I'm already thinking, how do I live for Badur? How can I live for him? How can I look out for his interest? 
What can I do for him? At home, let's practice this at home. That, you know, dads, dads here, show of hands. Dads, family life is not about family for me. Family life is about me for family fundamentally and completely. That they're not here to make sure that I get to work in time and I come back happy. They're here so that I can invest in someone so that they can become the best they can be. That's what it means to live a cross-centered life. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Saying, live this way. So that's number three. Let's move on quickly to number four. Number four, you find it here in the second chapter, is this life of carrying the message of Christ. This life of mobility. Jesus told us at the end of his mission on planet earth, go and make disciples of all nations. Friends, if mission is to succeed, mobility is necessary. Movement is required. If we're going to sit in our comfort zones, if we're going to be happy where we are, then we are not going to be able to carry Jesus' message as we see with Paul, as we see with Epaphroditus, as we see now with Timothy about whom Paul will say in this chapter, I have no one like him who seeks the interests of Jesus Christ. Tomorrow morning, as you get ready for, instead of Monday morning blues, let's have Jesus interest mornings, where we ask Jesus, Jesus, what is your interest for today? What is your interest for this week? What do you want me to do? Where can I go? Friends, it's wonderful if you had the time to go to Varanasi. But honestly, all of us, every day, everywhere, are on mission. When you get up tomorrow morning and maybe greet your newspaper vendor, you're actually greeting him in a, in a friendly way because you're on mission. You're looking for the day when you can actually develop a relationship with him and go to his home and sit on his floor and tell him about Jesus Christ. That we are on mission when we go to work. When, when we are at work, we are actually on mission. We are 100% missionaries. There's no full time and half time. We're all together on this mission because all of us are called to carry the message of Jesus. So may I stir you, may I remind you, may I encourage you to, to not be comfortable and not be content in this beautiful community, this beautiful church that you are so privileged to be a part of. Let's make sure that we have a dozen more APCs in Bangalore, another hundred across India, and maybe a thousand all over the world. Let's do that. But it's going to happen if we're willing to be mobile. If within our DNA is going to be this willingness to move, this willingness to go through the, oh man alive, we've moved 12 homes, and the last one was the toughest. I'm nearly 50. Tells you how old he is. It's the toughest one, toughest one. It's not easy to move, I know. But we live in absolute surrender to Jesus, don't we? Or is that what we say only on Sunday morning? Because it's not Accenture moving us, it's Jesus Christ moving us. So that we can take this beautiful APC DNA that God has given us as a seed and plant it in some other city. Because India needs that. We need that. You're allowed to clap or say amen. Or, are you, is, is, do they have your permission to do that? Yeah, I, I'm saying nice things about you. You're allowed, you're allowed to say yes, yes, yes. Let's do that. Come on. You're allowed to do that. Because, or are you saying, no, I don't want to move. Please don't talk to me about moving. I love Bangalore. Look at the weather. It rained for four hours last night. 
How beautiful it is. I, each morning I look at my phone and say, it's going to be 26 degrees today. Ah, I look forward to that. This is the Bangalore I remember. Before the late 70s, we never had a fan in our home. Ah, this is the Bangalore. No, no, friends, let's not be comfortable. The gospel of Jesus requires movement. Let's carry the message of Jesus. Number five. Number five, Paul calls us, as he tells us about his life, he calls us to live a life of chasing the grace of God. He tells us at the start of chapter three about his previous life. He tells us about how he was so determined to live righteously. How he made sure that whatever the law demanded, Paul did. He lived this way. He did what the law said. And so much so, and I don't think it's an empty boast. He says, as far as the law is concerned, I was faultless. The law could not say I was guilty on any count. I kept the law. If I sinned, I made sure I offered the sacrifice as it was prescribed to the last dot. But, he said, then I came face to face on the road to Damascus with this another righteousness, this righteousness that he talks in Romans chapter 3, this righteousness that does not come from the law, but comes from faith in the face and person of Jesus Christ. I came face to face with this amazing grace who said to me that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that is the only way, Paul, you can be saved. And I turned around, I repented completely. I turned around. I went the other way. Now I turned away. Now I'm living my life forgetting the legalistic way that I live. Forgetting the way that I live based on my performance. Thinking I was something when actually I was garbage. I was nothing. Now I live my life completely and solely based upon the grace of Jesus Christ. He would say in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9, we are saved by grace through faith. In Romans 5 17, that it is through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that we reign in life. He says here live by grace. Live not based on your performance. Don't just be singing worship songs when you've had a day of great evangelism. Sing worship songs when you've got upset with your boss and grumbled with your wife because you're still accepted by Jesus Christ. Still. Some husband just said amen. Hallelujah. Well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. That's the truth. We're completely accepted by Jesus. Not based on my performance, but on his performance. He has completely satisfied the Father and he has given me his 100% pure righteousness and said, here, take it. This is yours. Now you can live free. Free. You don't have to do anything to satisfy God. You are accepted. So Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, he says, I am by what I am by the grace of God. I, that's what I am. Who you are, the shape you have, the passions you have carry, the ambitions you have, the desires you have, that's you by the grace of God. You're unique. You're made fearfully and wonderfully. Psalm 139 tells us that. Enjoy the shape of your life. Enjoy the passions that God has given you. In that famous movie, Chariots of Fire, uh, Eric Liddell's sister gets very upset with him. They were missionaries to China, and Eric just loved to run and run. Even, and then he, as if you've seen the movie, he, got, he participated in the Olympic Games and won, and then went on to be a missionary. But there's this time when his sister says to him, you know, Eric, why are you wasting your time running? 
She might have quoted to him, bodily exercise profits little, but godly. I don't know if she did that, but she may have. And, uh, and Eric says something brilliant. He says, you know, God made me fast and I feel his pleasure when I run. What has God made you? What has God made you? What is the shape that God has given your life? What creative abilities has God put in you? What wonderful strategic passions has God given you? Whatever the shape of your life, live for Jesus Christ. Live for him. Forget what lies behind. Forget about your failures. Forget about your victories. Forget about what your dad said, your mom said. Really, the only thing that matters is to press forward with Jesus Christ. So live this way. Live this way. Finally, number six. Paul comes in chapter four to saying thank you. And uh, as he says thank you, he says to them, I, I'm very grateful that you've renewed your concern for me in verse 10. Um, and I'm not, he says, you know, I'm, I'm saying thank you, not because, uh, you know, I had any needs. He's very careful about this. He says in verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And later on he would repeat that when he says, um, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. There was a secret that Paul had learned. Many years, many years later, Charles Spurgeon in one of his sermons would say that the man who has Christ has all. And it seems Paul had learned this because he says so, as, so much in chapter 1 verse 21. But he says, for me, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain because I get more of Christ. And so really, I've got the treasure of the world. I've got the pearl of great price. I've got what is most valuable. I've got what is most needed. I've got that which satisfies my deepest hunger. I've got that which satisfies my greatest longing. I have Jesus. And therefore, in any and every circumstance, I've learned as long as Jesus is with me, I will be Okay, I will be fine. Dear friends, we live in a consumerist world that is an enemy to contentment. From our billboards and our newspapers and our TV advertisements and now on our, in, in our mobile phones, consumerism screams at us, screeches at us, grabs our eyeballs and tells us to go and get the next thing. This is April usually. I don't know if it's still done that way in Bangalore, but usually in April you have an appraisal, you get a salary raise, brand new year, perhaps you got 21%. May I encourage you to put 11% into the literature ministry later this year? Ashish is going to be speaking at our national conference even earlier this year when we, uh, we had our pastor's conference in Mumbai. We got a whole box, or two boxes of books and, uh, and gave it out to them uh, as a taster of what we were going to, what we were going to have later this year. And I'm suspecting we'll ask for some more. And, and across India, for some over 40 churches growing now, we just had a report of churches um, in, uh, in being started and being embraced into our family of churches in Orissa. We've served, we've just had a mission team that's come back from Myanmar. We're serving churches down there now. And, and that pastor will be here later this year. And our pastors are picking up stacks of your books made possible by your investment. And so instead of giving in to the demands and uh, 
pleas of consumerism, let's fight it by being content and in making some kingdom investments. For friends, uh, it's very important that you see that consumerism is really an enemy and something that we need to be very careful about and watch out for. Paul tells us in, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 to be careful about this. He tells us to uh, make sure that we uh, don't give in to this consumerism. Here's the verse, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. He tells us, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Godliness with contentment is of great gain. We didn't bring anything in. We're surely not going to take anything out. What we can do is to make kingdom investments. Two weeks ago, as a family, we worshipped with you here at APC Central. And we, we saw this beautiful kingdom investment before us. As those two girls were dedicated. As this family made the investment. I know what that investment is like. I know what it is to have a baby being added into a family and to go through the process of adoption. It's challenging. And I, I heard her story as, and I was thinking of our own story. And I was thinking, man, I was, yeah, I, I, could, feel the, I could feel the pain. I could feel the challenge. But and also, I could taste the joy. Because friends, that's such a, so much better of an investment. To invest in a child, to bring a baby home, make her part of your family, share the gospel with her, give her Jesus, equip her to be a winner for Jesus. I tell you, there's great gain in that. Can I urge you to think about kingdom investments? Can I urge you to invest what God has given you? And you do. And Can I urge you more? And if you're on the fence, looking in, jump on in. This is a great place to be. This is a fantastic place to be. If God hadn't taken me on the journey he has and placed me where he has, this is where I would have been. This is where I started. And I tell you, without reservation, I'd happily be here. So if you're on the fence, jump on in. Plug into this community. Be confident as you live with this family. Make sure you're carrying the message of Jesus. Live for others. Live for this great city. Even if we have 10% Christ followers in this city, we've still got 8 million more people to reach. Come on. It's place for another 40 APCs. Let's do that. Let's go and spread this great gospel. Let's not live based on our, league, on our performance. Let's rejoice in the performance of Jesus Christ. And on, from that platform, let's launch forward and share this glorious gospel because we are content. Let's pray. On your screen, we'll come up this final slide with the six words that I hope will remind you of what we have looked at this morning. Just want to ask you in prayer. For your own self, do you need any recalibration? Do you need any adjustment? Pick one. We might be here all afternoon if you picked all six. Pick one. 
pick one and say, Lord, I need some adjustment in this one. I'm a little too self-centered. I want to change and become more others-centered. Maybe, maybe you're hesitant to carry this message of Jesus. Like me, like me, hesitant. It's comfortable to do it within four walls, but it's so much tougher to do it on the streets. Maybe you're hesitant. Let's ask Jesus this morning. Say, Lord, make me a more confident messenger. Maybe contentment is your challenge. Say, Lord, help me to be content with what you have given me. What is it that you need? Just hold that before the Lord. Pick one. and Just pray that quietly, will you? Just pray that through quietly. And we'll close in a minute. I'll finish in a minute. I'll hand over back to Pastor Ashish. Just take that one. Hold it before you as it were. Almost symbolically, hold it in your right hand and say, this is it, Lord. This is it. This is the one thing. This is the one thing. Paul says, this one thing I do, I forget about what lies behind, I press on. What is the one thing for you? What is that one thing this morning? Just hold that one thing before you and just pray. Say, Lord, help me. Wonderful, wonderful Lord. Wonderful Savior. His power is available. His grace is present. His ability is here. Just hold that before the Lord and say, Lord, help me with this. Father, with my brothers and sisters this morning, I hold out my one thing. And I thank you so much that I am accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in the beloved. We don't have to perform to please you. We're already loved. We're welcomed. You love us, Lord. You, you dance over us, Zephaniah says. You rejoice over us with great joy. And because of that, because of that, we want to live in a way that speaks well of you. So will you please help us in our areas? Help us to make the adjustments. Help us to make the changes. Help us to live more like you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's just put our hands together and appreciate it. Thank you so much. Appreciate you sharing. Can we just stand to our feet? I'll also call our worship team up, please. And this time as we just um, prepare to close. What we like to do uh, before we close uh, is to give an opportunity to anybody who is here who has not received Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior. The whole message of the Bible is about Jesus, but there is a response that God requires of each of us to have that personal faith in Christ. And it's possible that there could be somebody here this morning. Maybe you've been invited by a friend. Maybe you have been attending church, but you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart and your life. You're not born again. You don't know what it means to have Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, as the one who forgives your sins and makes you a child of God. If you've never experienced that personally, if you've never prayed a prayer, asking the Lord to do that for you, to forgive your sins, to make you a child of God. I would just like to lead us in a prayer before we close. So could we have all of us just bow our heads, please? And if there's anyone here this morning, you've never received Jesus into your heart. 
Never asked him to forgive your sins. Never asked him to make you a child of God. If you've never done that before. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. However young you are. However old you are. If you'd like to make that decision. You can pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus. I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Make me a child of God. Make me a new person. And help me to follow you the rest of my life. Change me. Guide me. Direct my paths. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is anyone here you prayed this prayer with me for the very first time? You did it because you meant it. Would you mind lifting your hand? Anybody, you prayed this prayer with me for the very first time here this morning. Anybody in the auditorium, just lift your hand up. Anybody up on the balcony? Anybody here? Okay. In case you did, don't feel shy. Just come and meet with me or one of our ushers. We'd like to give you a, a bag that has some books in it, some instructions on what to do next and how you could grow in this faith and build yourself in, in your faith in the Lord Jesus. So in case you did, please meet with one of our ushers at the back or just come and talk to me. We'd be happy to give that to you. Let's close as we uh, get ready to dismiss. Father, we just thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for your words. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. And we pray that as we go from this place, the things we heard will continue to, to ring in our hearts, causing us, Lord, to walk as you desire us to walk, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Use each one of us for your glory. Wherever we go, use us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We'll see you again next week. Keep growing strong in Jesus. God bless. See you again. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.